0: Is week three of the TD Club, week three of the high school football season in the Tribune Democrats coverage area. I am Sean Curtis. You can find me on Twitter at Sean Curtis430. Mike Mastovich joining me once again at Masty81 is where you can find him on Twitter. And week two had some bangers. Week two had some excellent football games. And I think the one that leads off is probably the finish. In Berlin, Connemaw Valley, Berlin Brothers Valley. And it came down to a hook and lateral. As it was described in the story that ran in Saturday's edition of the Tribune Democrat, quarterback Pace Prosser fired a pass to wide receiver Ryan Bluebaugh. As he was being brought down, he flipped it back to a trailing Carson Modrak. He took it the rest of the way, 35 yards. That was it. That, that was how Berlin took down Connemaw Valley in week two. And I, it's a shame for Connemaw Valley because we, we've been talking about them earlier in the season. Being a program that's going to be able to take some steps in the Westpac, they had two brutal games to start the year.
1: Yeah, the Blue Jays uh, 0-2, as you said. And, uh, you know, they just uh, had a great drive at the end. It took up nine minutes plus in scored on a trick play of their own to go up with 33 seconds left they got the extra point went up 15 14. Uh, logan kent threw a half back option pass for a touchdown and uh, they thought they had run off enough clock but as doug paul said they gave us 30 seconds too much and uh, after the game both coaches very complimentary of the uh, opposing team and just uh, we had spoke last week about Berlin is determined to show people, hey, we are still Berlin even though we lost 19 big time players from the year before. Cottonwood Valley, uh, you know, you hate to use that cliche, the best 0 2 team around. I'm sure that's no consolation to them, but uh, you know, they're they're still looking like a promising team. They just got to uh, get get a W behind them and and move forward.
0: Okay, you mentioned 0 2. Are they the best 0 2 team in the area? You're looking at some of the o- other 0 2 teams, Black League Valley. Central Cambria, Greater Johnstown, Myersdale, Northern Cambria, United, and Westmont Hilltop. Like, yeah. you know, would Connemaw Valley maybe be the best 0-2 team in the area? Like, if you put together a tournament of those teams.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, it's an honor you don't really want. But, uh, yeah, it, I guess it's a consolation prize, uh, you know, if, if they uh, could emerge out of that pack. Right now, I guess uh, their, their biggest concern is... Uh,
0: playing North Star this week. And we'll talk about that one a little bit later. Uh, it's one of our highlight games for Week 3. Another highlight game in Week 2, Mike Mastovich. You were at this game in Loretto, Greater Johnstown, Bishop McCourt Catholic. And visually, it was immediately off-putting right off the bat because I saw a picture tweeted of Bishop McCourt in the navy blue Bishop Carroll uniforms. And, you know, that that's part of the co-op. And I think that, you know, it's a wonderful thing that, you know, they did, you know, not only to play that game in St. Francis, which is much closer to Bishop Carroll than Johnstown, but also to wear the, those Husky uniforms. Now, it, like it was a little off-putting because he still had the gold helmets. So it was just really kind of a mishmash. But, you know, it worked. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a good atmosphere uh, up in Loretto.
1: Um you know, as you said, the, kind of a nod to Bishop Carroll. There was a couple reasons, obviously, and in, in Wednesday's uh, Tribune Democrat print edition and on, uh, online with TribDem.com, we have the story about uh, Bishop McCord is actually looking for a home field now that uh, Sargent Stadium, uh, has, as everybody knew, was going to be out of uh, service until the targeted date was September 17th because they are replacing the turf. And then uh, the company that's doing the turf, out-of-state company, got hit with COVID-19, stopped all the work. So now Bishop McGord's going to have to go a few more games without uh, having Sargent Stadium as, as a home field. But anyway, uh, uh, going back to the game we were talking about, they moved the game to Loretto because Bishop Carroll used to play in Loretto at St. Francis uh, a few years ago until they, they had their own on-campus uh, in Bishop Carroll field so that was kind of a nod to them then wearing the blue uniforms a nod to Bishop Carroll and the co-op but once the game started uh, I was Tristan for an area Bishop McCourt the quarterback uh, had an incredible game uh, 220 rushing yards and four rushing TDs Threw for another 156 and a touchdown Johnstown uh, traded punch-for-punch punch with them uh, with a few big plays um, just uh, John Updike, the quarterback, he threw for nearly 300 yards, about 262 yards passing. Uh, they they had 76-yard touchdown, an 81-yard fumble recovery return. So the Trojans uh, kept knocking on the door, but just couldn't get over that hump. And uh, Bishop McCord ended up winning the game, 49 to 33, at St. Francis.
0: Moving on to District Seven, our only District Seven team, near Valley, was at Elizabeth Forward. This was another case of Ligonier Valley playing up in class, a 2A team, this time playing a 3A team. And they passed another big test. Elizabeth Forward slated to be one of the better teams in AAA by most people out that way. And Ligonier Valley scores on the first play from scrimmage. It was a 68-yard pass to Grant Dowden. Hayden Siraki, the quarterback, completed six passes, two for touchdowns, 182 yards, also ran for 57 yards. Here's the thing. We, we've mentioned this a couple of times when we talk about Ligonier Valley. It's the defense. And Jacob Hay had four sacks in one game out of the nine that they had on Elizabeth Ford quarterback Zion White. And so in a 26-14 win, that that's a difference. Because if you're bringing a quarterback down, if you're putting a team behind schedule because ultimately football is about blocking and it's about tackling. And if you can't block, you're going to get tackled. Here's Ligonier Valley putting together another strong defensive effort. They're 2-0, and they've got Jeanette, which got absolutely throttled last week. 82-0.
1: Yeah, the Ligonier defense uh, speaks for itself. Um, Just looking at the statistics after week two, as you said, Jacob Hay has four sacks Suddenly he's the leader after uh, having a four-sack game. But the, also from area, uh, Billy Sugden has three sacks this season, and uh, Miles Higgins has two. And if you look at the, the tackle leaders, um, uh, Ryan Harbart has 13 solos, 27 tackles, and uh, he's, he's up near the top. Uh, well, actually he's tied for the, the statistical lead in the area. So that defense has uh, has really clicked and uh that, you know the Rams are going to be one of those teams to to watch in the in the Whitfield, in their section all season.
0: New scoreboard going in at Weller Field this week. It's going to make its debut at least for football, and it's got a video element to it. At uh, Roger Beidel uh, spoke with me before the season. Uh, the money for that uh, came through a private donor, and I, it's an exciting element. Uh, they have resurfaced the field. Um, it's flatter. It's apparently more absorbent. Uh, there have always been some you know, issues with drainage at that field in the past. So interesting to see because we've had a lot of rain in the past few weeks how that field is going to hold up to its first football test on Friday. Connemouth Township at North Star. This, North Star is painfully close to being 2-0, and Connemouth Township is oh so close to being 0-2. It broke differently, though.
1: Yeah, Connemouth Township... Second week in a row took a 14 nothing advantage in, in their game. And uh, uh, the first week they ended up falling behind and losing. And this week uh, they, they came back. Uh, the Cougars came back to make it 20-14. to But Conwell Township uh, persevered, get, gets the late touchdown, and an extra point, And the Indians won 21-20. Uh, talking about big plays, you know, Conwell Township, their passing game, has been phenomenal Tanner Shirley uh, leads the area with 530 passing yards, completed 29 of 54, and somebody who we expected to have a huge year, Jackson Byer, 13 receptions for 274 receiving yards, also uh, leads the area. So, township uh, definitely an an arsenal there on offense, and uh, Northstar, uh, you know, they gutted it out and came close to pulling off the win. Uh, Tim Treader was doing uh, great on the on the ground and. Uh, Connor Yoder once again is uh, persevering as quarterback, showing uh,
0: a lot of promise uh, for for the uh, Cougars. That infusion of the Shade Co-op to Connemaw Township, how's that boosted the passing game?
1: Well, I mean, you look at uh, you know just Shirley and and Byer uh, are two guys who were already there, but if if you throw in guys like Braden Adams, that's a you know another athlete there, and there were other uh, Shade guys have contributed to add to the the threats there and the depth and. Um, it, it's just a, a great scenario for the Indians, and um, everybody knows Tony Pena, Jr. Uh, his, his coaching when he was at Johnstown, uh, very pass-oriented and uses a lot of different looks, so um, this is uh, you know the third year into that, so the, these guys are getting more comfortable with, uh,
0: with you know, the things Tony likes to incorporate in his offense. All right, Cambria Heights at Northern Bedford. It's a non-conference win for Cambria Heights. 29-0 over the Black Panthers on the road. And this was an interesting game because there were two big plays in the first half that put Cambria Heights up 14-0. They were getting out gained, and they had gained fewer than 100 yards, 98 yards in the first half. Here, okay, again, this goes back to blocking and tackling. In the second half, Cambria Heights was able to control possession. They grind, you know. They just kept grinding out yardage, kept grinding out first downs. They got two touchdowns, twenty-nine nothing. Northern Bedford had two second-half possessions and gained one yard. It's a good Northern Bedford offense. One yard, two possessions. Wow. You would think two, three and outs. And Cambria Heights. Just shut that down. It's just
1: a testament to uh, Jared Lewis and what he's done with that program—a veteran coach, uh, a team with some experience. Uh, offensively, you know they they can control the clock with uh, with the offense that they have. And uh, I was talking to him earlier in the week for a previous story and. Asked him about, uh, you know, life switching conferences. And he said, well, you know, we've only actually played one Heritage Conference game because they had to pick up the Northern Bedford game there. And, uh, you know, he's just saying there's a lot of confidence on this team and uh, they're having fun and just um, doing what they have to do to control that ball, eat up the clock, and then defense just shutting down opponents.
0: And I would think one of the biggest statements of Week 2 – Came on Saturday night. That was Penn Cambria beating Bishop Guilfoyle, and beating Bishop Guilfoyle the way that Bishop Guilfoyle beats teams, just straight up bullying teams up front.
1: Yeah, on the road at Mansion Park, Penn Cambria twenty-seven to fourteen over Bishop Guilfoyle. Uh, Garrett Harold, quarterback, continuing to, you know, do what he does best. I mean, he's a dual threat. He had two hundred thirty-five rushing yards on twenty-four carries. Uh, had scoring runs of 65 and 11 yards. And then as a team, you know, they they uh, had Zach Grove also run for 109 yards. So as a team, they had 399 rushing yards for Penn Cambria. I mean, that's just phenomenal against a very, very good Bishop Guilfoyle team that even though they have uh, a lot of new faces in that lineup, that's just a program that they've built over the last decade that is just a, a strong program that uh, – all it knows is winning. So this this was a huge, as you said, statement for Penn Cambria, who comes out now 2-0 and uh, has to have a lot of confidence after that victory.
0: And, and here's a case for Penn Cambria. There was a little bit of ch- chatter about the Panthers going into the season. They weren't in that top tier in the coaches' poll. Like, there were five clear-cut teams that a lot of coaches were hanging on. Penn Cambria was right underneath that fifth spot. They were at six, And this, I mean, this is a big win. This establishes Penn Cambria as being maybe not a major player in the conference, but, you know, here you are looking at a team that just rushed for almost 400 yards against Bishop Guilfoyle. And you rush for 400 yards against a freshman team, and that's still impressive. To do it against Bishop Guilfoyle, that's something you tell the grandkids about.
1: Yeah, they're going to, you know, Penn Cambria now has established itself as one of the teams to beat at the top of the conference, and as long as you have Garrett Harold doing what he's done through the first two weeks, I mean, uh, he has 377 rushing yards in uh, 30, with 39 carries, so, uh, you know, he he is, like, uh, making things happen for Penn Cambria. If he continues to progress, as, as everybody thinks he will, I mean, they're, they're going to be even that much more of a threat in the conference.
0: All right, moving on to some of the games in week three. There are 13 games on the slate. We're going to highlight about five of them. We're going to start with the Cold Ball, Northern Cambria, Cambria Heights. And this is a rivalry. This, these are two neighboring schools. And now it's a conference game.
1: Yeah, I talked to both coaches for uh, the, the Wednesday, uh, for Thursday's column in the uh, print edition of the Tribune Democrat and Tribdem.com. And both coaches talked about how much this uh, series means and how now that they're in conference together, it's going to be a regular occurrence. Now, they played every year from 1960 to 1992. Then things started to change because Heights was in the Laurel Highlands and and around that time, Northern Cambria joined the Heritage. Appalachian. Yeah, Appalachian Conference and then eventually the Heritage, yes. And then uh, that created some some stoppages. Now it wasn't like they, they stopped for a bunch of years because there were years where it would fit in the schedule if the teams weren't in the playoffs and things like that. So they, I, I, ha- I have the whole thing mapped out um, in, in my column, but Cambria Heights has a 23-21-1 advantage in the all-time series that started in 1960, which was the first year of Cambria Heights after the, the merger of uh, some other schools. So it, it's a great series for the community. Uh, Northern Cambria coach Sam Schutte uh, said that they always looked at themselves as like the odd guy out in, in the heritage because they were only Cambria County school and it was hard to have a rivalry. They're, they're ecstatic. They said, now we got our rivalry again. So that's what they talked about. And, uh, you know, Jared Lewis at Cambria Heights said that, uh, you know, he expects probably more people at this game than these kids have played in front of in quite a while. Some people, he said, probably haven't been at a game in five or six years. The last time these two teams played each other was in 2014. So, um, so it's something that communities are have waited for, and the communities are rallying around, and just a lot of chatter about this game uh, between two border rivals with Cambria Heights and Northern Cambria.
0: Another border rivalry, Bedford at Chestnut Ridge, and here's 2-0 Bedford, 1-1 one one Chestnut Ridge. The Bisons doing what was expected of them. They're outscoring teams 99-21. They're rushing for 288 yards per game. Now, it was against Central Cambria, and it was against Somerset. Combined 0-3 right now. Chestnut Ridge bounced back with a win over Central Cambria after losing to Central in Week 1. A couple things that I noticed here, and this is the Mercury Swam effect. Yardage-wise, Bedford is very run-heavy, but their TD production has been split even on offense, 6-6. Passing, Rushing. And so now you've got Chestnut Ridge, a little bit more balanced. They run for about 261 a game. They pass for 174 because that Max Shoemaker offense needs a quarterback that can do both. So you got two dual-threat quarterbacks in this game. Chestnut Ridge has scored nine of its 11 offensive touchdowns on the ground. So it, in one case, Bedford, you don't know how they're going to do it, but they're going to do it to you. Chestnut Ridge, they're going to get you down one way, and then they're going to finish you off another way. At least that's what the trends are saying. But trends, records, it's cliche. I don't like leaning on cliches, but I don't think that Bedford or Chestnut Ridge are looking at 2-0 and 1-1 when this game kicks off on Friday.
1: Yeah, this is one of those games where it means so much, again, in the community, and people are talking about it for weeks, if not longer. uh you know, because a lot of the people play uh, other sports together or play against each other in other summer sports and things like that. A lot of people in the communities work together or, or, or know each other from from just different activities in the community. So it means a lot. And like you said, uh, you know, Chestnut Ridge, uh, they're replacing the quarterback had been there, you know, same, it felt like forever, but Logan Pfister was there for three years. Before that, it was Logan Haug. Now Nate Wysong is coming in and uh, seems to be adapted pretty well. He's 23 of 39 with 348 passing yards. And then you've got, uh, you know, just Nick Prisnell running for 250 yards. Uh, so they, they've got a lot of balance, like you said. And then you got Bedford with uh, Mercury Swain is just establishing himself as one of the, you know, great quarterbacks around here. And he was our player of the year last year. And he talked after that week one game I covered at Central Camry about how, how great their offensive line has developed in, into and uh so you know it's it's going to be a you know another one of the slug fests in bedford county
0: all right looking ahead also winboro connemont township big week three game but also historically significant
1: yeah because, go ahead well you, you mentioned uh that the history of it uh, and this is the 20th anniversary of uh september 11th uh, 2001 the, the tragedies of that day and I can remember covering right after September 11th happened on a Tuesday, most of the Friday games were uh, postponed or canceled, and then uh, Wimber and Township decided that they were going to play on that Saturday following September 11th. It was at uh, at Township, and it was a very moving ceremony. I was at that game, and there was some controversy. Should they have played? Should they have not played? And uh, the, the back then if I'd reread my stories it would I remember a lot of people talking about we you know we're not gonna let the terrorists win you know this is America we're gonna we're gonna forge ahead and, and they did in a very respectful manner there was a moving ceremony a lot of tears shed that game where they they had a bell and rang a bell for every one time for every victim of, of the flight 93 at Shanksville. they had all, both schools, Pulled out a giant, almost the size of a field American flag. There were moments of silence. So there, there was a lot of respect paid to the tragedy of that week, and they played that game. So that's you know here we are, 20 years later. Ironically, uh, the same two teams are playing at the same site uh, in in another uh, you know big conference game.
0: And it is a big conference game. Winburst two and uh, O. They've just laid waste to their two opponents. Connemont Township one and one and could easily be 2-0, could easily be 0-2. But, you know, these are two good teams going at it on Friday, and this might be one of the sternest tests to win proceeds for, for a while. Yeah, the
1: Ramblers, as we talked at the beginning of the year, uh, you know, 21 of 22 starters back, they are doing, you know, what everybody expected them to do, and that's play some pretty good football. And this is another one of those rivalries that dates back uh, years and years, decades and decades, and there's just a lot of uh, emotion and just – there's a lot of respect and uh, two good coaches and two good teams so um, I, I've heard it you know they even they've brought the horse back this year Kanama Township which which always was a cool touch at the beginning of the game. Uh, so it's going to be one of those great atmospheres and you never know what's going to happen in a game like this. obviously Wimber will be favored but uh, strange things happen in rivalries.
0: Staying in the West Pack, Conuma Valley at North Star, this game could be over by 830. These are two teams that love to run the football. Yeah, definitely, without a doubt. Uh,
1: you know, you you'd mentioned the job that Logan Kent did last week. He's he's rushed for 283 yards in uh, in two two games. Carried the ball 64 times in two games. So uh, he's just just one of the guys on the Cotton Valley. Nick Heltzel has 153 rushing yards and 25 carries. So yeah, it proves your point. Uh, you know, between those two guys, they've got uh, you know close to 90 carries in two weeks. Um, So, definitely, Cornwall Valley will run the ball. North Star, we talked about their improvement, uh, you know, under Coach Bob Landis, the job he's done. So, um, it's a big game for both teams. I mean, North Star is one and one Cornwall Valley would, you know, just hate to – anybody would hate to drop to 0-3. But, I mean, after the way their first two weeks have gone, if they go 0-3, you know, that's one of those things psychologically it would be hard to bounce back from. North Star, you know, one and one they want to prove that, hey, you know – we didn't slip off. We're going to go right back and, and get on that winning track. So, big game for uh, both teams.
0: Conwa Valley has passed for 19 yards this season. And a halfback owns 11 of them.
1: Well, John Jacoby would be proud.
0: <laughs> Bishop Gilfoyles at Richland, 2-0 Rams, 1-1 and Marauders. Big L hat game.
1: Yeah, I mean, this this is one of those games at the beginning of the year. Everybody was looking at this one. And, uh, you know, next week, uh, you know, Richland another big one. But, you um, some people might say, oh, I lost a little bit of the luster because Bishop Guilfoyle lost, but I, I don't think so. I think now Guilfoyle's going to be fired up be like, hey, you know, we lost a game, we don't want to lose a second one, and Richland is, uh, you know, out to show that, uh, you know, they're at the top of the conference, uh, you know, with Bedford and Guilfoyle, and, and uh, they're going to want to establish themselves even further after uh, their big win last week when they put up 49 points at Westmont. So, they, the Rams have a lot of momentum. Guilfoyle has probably a lot of determination after falling
0: uh, for the first time. And, you know, this is – this could be the conference championship. But more importantly, even when you're a, about a third of the way through the season, every win, every playoff point counts in District 6.
1: Yeah, yeah, without without a doubt. And uh, Richland is one of those teams with, with a lot of uh, – playoff experience over the past few years, and Bishop Guilfoyle, a lot of state playoff experience over the last uh, eight or nine years, maybe close to a decade, since, since the down year they had in 2011. I think ever since then they've been pretty much dominant. So these are two of the teams that know what it takes to get into the playoffs. They know what it takes to win playoff games, and uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, this is one of those games that is like a top-of-the-conference type game.
0: All right, Mike's got some numbers in front of him. Uh, he's the man who compiles the stats that go in every week in the Tribune Democrat and also at Tribdem.com. And, I, you know, to read all the numbers would be kind of boring, but what jumps out to you?
1: Well, there's there's a few things. Uh, I, I mentioned, uh, you know, Tanner Shirley uh, with, with the, you know, 580 passing yards uh, or 530 passing yards. I mean, that's, that's – that's un- unbelievable there. And John Updike on an 0-2 team, he's got 388 passing yards. And then Tristan Forneri for Bishop McCourt, a guy that did everything on the ground last week, he's he's at 362 passing yards. And uh, Forneri has 286 rushing yards. So we do have those dual threat people. Uh, a couple of the guys like, um, like uh, Mercury Swaim and um, Kellen Stahl, two of the better quarterbacks in the area, their numbers are a little bit lower because you know their teams have been dominant and these guys have gotten some rest in the later parts of, the, of their their games. Uh, so you know you've got guys guys like that that are you know the dual threat seems to be the thing that's that's the trend uh, you know throughout throughout both con- or uh, all three conferences uh, that that we've uh, that are in our coverage area and, and, and in and Ligonier and the Whippell. But Jackson Byrick, Township, two hundred seventy-four receiving yards. Kobe Christian at Greater Johnstown, he had a, a huge game against Bishop uh, McCourt last week. He has nine receptions for 202 yards. And, uh, you know, we've had uh, Portage, another team, has been looked really good through uh, through two victories. And, you know, on the rushing side, Orrin Heidler at 274 rushing yards and John Wolford at 229. Caden Clark at 153. So the Mustangs are doing it on the ground and, uh, you know, Passing-wise, Andrew Mika with 218 passing yards. So, uh, you know, there's another team with a lot of balance.
0: You brought up the wealth of dual-threat quarterbacks in this area. And, I mean, it's trickling down from the college game because it's an RPO world. And we're just all living in it right now.
1: Yeah, without a doubt.
0: (laughs) Definitely uh, it's
1: got to be done to to establish a winning program now. you got to rely on that balance. I I remember when I first started at the TD here uh, 35 years ago, a lot of the teams just – Ground and pound, just run, run, run. And uh, I'd mentioned John Jacoby, you know, with their trap game at Conwell Valley. You, you were very familiar with Jerry Page, and they, they, you know, Laurel Valley and United would just run it. To, power <laughs> eye, know. baby. Power yeah, eye. Just, yep. And uh, then it kind of started evolving, you know, those four steals teams in the early 90s with Brandon Bailey at quarterback and then Justin Myers at quarterback and Greater Johnstown with Brian Manjafico, and Just goes on and on, uh, you know. We evolved
0: into such a great uh, passing area too. And it's funny you bring up like just with the way the offenses used to be in this area. I mean, growing up in the '90s, you know, having a lot of teams that were just run heavy. I actually NCAA football 14 on the PS3. I recently found my way into a modded version of the game. There is a group of people. It's called College Football Revamped, and if you have a copy either on the PS3 or on the Xbox 360. You can download the mod, you can jail basically like jailbreak your PS3 or your Xbox and install this mod which modernizes the game to where it's 2020, 2021 rosters, the uniforms are all changed and all this stuff. Just messing around, I was playing with South Carolina and it had the 2020 roster, so Will Muschamp was still the coach on, you know, for South Carolina, which meant it had the Georgia playbook. And it had the Power Eye as one of the formations. And I just had to, like, sit back and smile for a second. When I saw that, I'm like, oh, this is great. Now, unfortunately, there were only, like, nine plays in that playbook. And then I thought about it. I was just like, were there really more than, like, nine or ten plays installed that cherry ran most of the time? Uh, he, there, there were more in the playbook, but it just felt like the same dozen or so plays were the ones that were making the bread for Laurel Valley. So just a little tidbit, uh, and if anybody just finds joy in modding their old copy of NCAA 14 then that little story did its job. Uh, nevertheless, Mike, do you have anything to add going into week three? No, I don't know anything about modding. That's my kids know that. I, I played that little game
1: with, uh, <laughs> I forget what that was called, where you had the two fingers and you would just go, and run down the sideline.
0: football. Yeah, that was my game. I had that too. You know, you grow up with the classics. All right, so hopefully we see some video game numbers this week going into week three. 13 games, lots of good ones. And we, we hope to hear from you. We, if you have any kind of comments, feedback, just reach us sportsattribdem.com. Uh, you can find Mike again on Twitter at Masty81. And I can be found on Twitter at Sean Curtis430. And I am Sean Curtis, signing off along with Mike Mastovich for another episode of the TD Club. And congratulations, you have made it to the end.